Even through the breath-dampened cloth mask you wear, the smell of tinctures penetrates. It's familiar. The cold stone room, barely tall enough to stand in, feels like an old home. Is this a memory or a dream? In a place like this, there's no knowing for sure. A smooth, cold medical slab takes up most of the floor space. An array of clean makeshift tools are hung on a wall, causing comfort to those familiar and terror to those foreign. A single wooden shelf of unguents, components, and containers lines the wall behind you, desperately attempting to look well-stocked. You spent a lot of time in a room like this, back when they took you from the field, washed you off, and put you to a more specialized work, cutting away rot, disinfecting the corruption of some sicknesses, battling the rampant poisons of the underdark, and in the rarest of cases, relieving pain. These tasks sparked curiosity in you. Body after body taught you hands-on lessons. Each ailment and venom had its own scent and flavor. And many times, the removal of the poison was not your task. Quite the opposite. There is no polite knock. The door is flung open, and entering is two well-armored silhouettes that seem strangely tall and imposing despite the dimensions of the room. Between them, held up by the shoulders like soiled laundry, is a drow body. It's hefted onto the table with a dull thud. Don't bother trying to save him. He's as good as dead. Cooked his life away. They found him near the surface. Who knows how long he was out there. Take notes. Find out how it killed him. We always need more information. They speak of it like a living beast, but you know they're referring to the sun. You know not to ask questions, and with a click they're gone. You and this ruin-burned husk, torched by sunlight, are alone in the empty room. What do you do? I walk over to the apothecary cabinet, and I open up one of the small drawers. Inside of it is a little opaque jar. Mm-hmm. I unscrew the top, and I pull out a thin paper cigarette. Mm-hmm. I light it up, and I start examining the body. All right. The features on the face seem like they've been partially burned away. The skin has gotten extremely tight and you're guessing that the body was incredibly dehydrated even before the sunlight exposure go ahead and roll me a medicine check okay let's roll that beautiful bean footage nice 14 plus my medicine of wait is this the past (laughs) it's it's your current medicine okay uh so that's seven excellent very good So the outermost layers of the skin look like they were put into a fire, almost. The hair has all fallen out. The eyes have sunken into the skull. Large cancerous patches of wrinkled flesh adorn the face and bare chest. They're almost indistinguishable as a dark elf. The fingers and toes have been tightly curled into some kind of dying agony. You've never seen sunlight poisoning this bad before. You rarely see it at all. This could be from a few days, or a week, maybe even a month. It seems like the sun has started to consume him. I pull out another opaque bottle and I pour out a small shot of a weird brown liquid and take a drink. Okay. It's definitely unsettling to look at, but the uh, the cigarette and the beverage help to ease your nerves and help you accept what's in front of you. Are there any kind of medical examinations you'd like to take part in or... With the cigarette still like hanging out of the corner of my mouth, mask pulled down, mm-hmm. I'm going to 
crack the chest and do a Y incision. Okay. Uh, it looks like the organs have gone through extreme levels of dehydration. It seems like they were robbed of all nutrients and have almost become slightly necrotic. Same. Anything unusual beyond that? Just having rotted? Based on the fact that it looks like they were, from at a glance, just inserted into a fire, it's strange that their insides would necrotize like this. It's like a poison filling through the entire body while the outside burns away. And as you're studying the wounds, you are a very hands-on practiced medical professional at this point. You've been doing this mm. for a long time and you've seen a lot of things. This is fairly new to you. And while you normally rely on your chemicals, your blades, your science, something seems to be tingling inside of your chest, burning in the back of your mind that makes you feel like there's, there's more you can do for this person, something outside of the bounds of physical science almost like a spark waiting to ignite. I close them up. Mm -hmm. I lay his hands across his chest in a peaceful resting fashion. Mm -hmm. I open his eyes and look deep into them. And as you do this, you feel a kind of serenity, but an energetic one that seems to well up in your fingertips. Something is both new and familiar about this. As you gently open his eyes, you can sense a kind of light that seems to seep through your fingertips and into the skin. The areas around the eye slowly start to fade in their cancerous decay and look much more fresh, renewed. And as the eye comes into focus, you can see a piercing blue pupil looking back up at you. The skin starts to peel back and reveal a fresh layer of healthy, uncut skin. The hair begins to grow very slowly into these top-heavy, curly golden locks. There's a crooked nose and a very stern expression as Artyom Volkov looks you in the face and attempts to lean in ever closer to whisper something into your ear. Is it a warning? Is it a revelation? And then you awaken to the calm dark of your quarters in the rot ward of Lucinilli. The looming black ocean sits waiting outside your window. This surface darkness is a weak brew compared to the black pitch lightless world you're returning from. You can hear the soft sleeping sounds of Christ and Harithax. <sighs> my hand instinctively goes up to my mouth as if I'm holding a cigarette and then I shake my head put it down and then stand up I head towards the roof alright as you're making your way out moving quietly to try not to disturb anyone um, you remember that Arvid left home on a very personal voyage leaving you all behind but promising to be in touch very shortly uh, they took Morty with them to get him some time out on the road and really just have time being a puppy again um just good bonding experience and the smell of food is kind of permeating from downstairs as you make your way to the roof mm. it's a very clear spring night the strong smell of salt wafts in from the maiden's heart is the moon out it is and it is a very pale green can i tell what time it is from that you're guessing it's probably around 1 a.m maybe two 
I'm going to bask in the reflected sunlight for a little bit before I head downstairs and check on what Jean-Bierre is doing. It definitely helps to center you. And uh, there is a little bit of a lurch in your stomach from the smell of the sweet food drawing you downward. And uh, as you make your way down the stairs and enter, obviously the tavern is fully closed. The sign is off and the door is locked. You have a key. And as you enter, the room is filled with steam. And all of the tables have large metal sheets laid out over them that look like they have just layers of salt stacked onto them. The entire place is full of this very earthy, savory smell, uh, like someone's cooking huge amounts of liquid or every single burner is running at the same time. It just has completely saturated all of the wood. And it's, it's wonderful, but almost overwhelming. What is this? As you uh, poke your head into the kitchen, you can see Jean-Pierre frantically moving from the oven to the cutting board to the larder. And there are three giant pots, any one of which you could probably climb inside with your knees on your chin. They're all bubbling and boiling and stacked up in all the corners and in boxes. There's just, there's mushrooms everywhere. And uh, he's almost distracted. He looks up and says, Oh, Atiom, uh, bonjour. <laughs> Did not mean to wake you. I'm simply getting ahead on all of this overstock. Do not want them to go bad, you know? I'm preserving them. I'm roasting them. I'm curing some, making stocks. But I have more mushrooms than I know what to do with. <laughs> what is this, Gribner again? I feel like uh, suddenly my grandfather is going to come through the door, throwing mushrooms at my head, dried and old, and I'm supposed to chew on them until I can get my rewards. <laughs> Something like that. Uh, the, the little men who live in the back, you were gone for a while, but they, they keep supplying mushrooms. They're, they're overrunning the place. I've never seen so much fungus in all my life. They're very good. There's a lot of varieties, but uh, they will go bad if I do not do something with them. Ugh, this is a job only for me, da? Please feel free to help. I start taking thick bites of mushrooms and, and like <laughs> trying to help him with whatever he's doing. Certainly, yeah. Uh, he'll have you stir some of the stock, add some seasonings to things, and then go add another layer of salt to the mushrooms laid out in the main room. There are curing levels of different kinds of like thick wide portobello caps and long shiitakes and the volume of produce seems ridiculous for the size of the room that you know is in the back the garden and this is a feast to your people this this would last your clan months and here jean-pierre is just desperately trying not to throw it away <laughs> and uh, as you're helping you you spend a good half hour getting him caught up and reorganizing some of these dried mushrooms and making sure that uh, no salt is spilling onto the floors and he says I, they do not speak to me they only seem to speak to you and your friends why don't you go talk to them and see what's going on this is ridiculous i cannot work like this i already work 12 hours a day i can't come in early i can do this i can't guarantee i'm going to be able to get much interesting conversation out of them but they'll try and you go into the back, and the greenhouse is lush. The exotic plants that Harothax planted are growing up to the ceiling in a wide array of prismatic colors. The glowing blue rose that kind of sits at the very front of the greenhouse is washed in this green light, and it's just kind of humming with a twinkling energy. But every other surface of dirt around the gardening boxes, parts of the floor... There's just mushrooms everywhere, every style, every height. You, you can barely walk in without having to watch your steps to not crush them. And there's little shrimbara just milling about everywhere. Oi, Gribnoka, what is this? What are you doing? And uh, you see Lord Anoki kind of resting on one of the large leaves of these exotic, almost like a, a purple sunflower that closes like a Venus flytrap. And he's munching on what looks like a decayed leaf. 
And he says, Oh, Artyom, we haven't seen you in a while. Look at our beautiful family growing so large. It's very kind of your friend to take them away and use them for practical purposes. Uh, maybe too large. We can't eat these many mushrooms. Oh, dear. I'm sorry. The soil here is just so nourishing and rich, and these plants are so filling. We can't help it. And you see down in the mulch underneath the base of this plant, there's a little shroom bar that's walking along, just munching on some kind of seed pod. And they just kind of fall into the dirt, and their hands and knees kind of bury into it. And they let a little sigh, almost like pleasurable, like... <sighs> And mushrooms just curl up around him, almost like four inches tall. He gets up and dusts himself off, and he looks dizzy, almost post-coital, and stumbles <laughs> off to continue munching on his seed pod. And uh, Lord Enoki's like, this is like a paradise for us. We've never expected this much nourishment and ability to reproduce. Da, but maybe, like, pull back on the reproduction problem, you see? It's too much. Oh, I suppose we'll do our best. Should we stop feeding? You have to understand the ecosystem needs to, you know, replenish. If, if you if you suck up all nutrients, there's nothing left, da? Yeah, I suppose so. Sorry, Artyom. This is all so new to us. We've never been in a place like this. We used to live in a cold cave, in a metal box. The dirt was small and cold and lifeless. Here, it's like a buffet, every inch. Well, maybe we do this. Maybe we get you one large place, one big bed of dirt, da? And maybe you only make babies in this. Well, that would be wonderful. We would love to share our people with everyone. That's kind of weird. You're talking about feeding. Yeah, no, still your understanding of mortality is very different from my own. So uh, maybe we don't talk about this. If you don't want to, I think it's very interesting to be consumed by larger creatures. It seems like what? a beautiful cycle. Do you have some kind of religion for this? It's just a neat idea. What's religion? It's like a system of belief uh, among a large group of people, usually with some kind of organized uh, ideas. Wow. That sounds lovely and kind of scary. I got a question for you. Mm-hmm. Does this hurt? I walk over to him and I pull off a finger. Does what hurt? I put the finger in my mouth and I chew it pensively. <laughs> it has kind of a strange bitter flavor, but it's a perfectly nourishing button. So this, you feel nothing negative when I do this? Well, I'm, I'm aware of it, but it seems perfectly natural. I cast a quick healing spell on him and see if his finger grows back. You can tell, like, there's some transference of magical energy. His uh, finger, like, closes up. But you could tell, as you did that, it was kind of already starting to grow back a little bit. Oh, okay. Well, we look forward to having a much more lush garden, too. And they all go very quiet at the same time. And Enoki looks at you and says, Oh, I think someone's at the door, Artyom. Which door? The front door. We can feel them through the roots. Ugh, this is incredibly problematic, you understand? We'll be good until we get more room, okay? We'll try to hold it in as best we can. <laughs> they just want to nut so bad. <laughs> <laughs> so bad. Uh, you can feel them through... You can feel this presence through the roots. Oh, yes. Our funguses have grown fully under this building. Wait, so your mycelia are underground now? A bit, yes. Which fruiting body here has the mycelia that is going to the door? Uh, he points to one of the larger window boxes, and there's a large patch of, like, very small dark mushrooms. 
And he says, that's probably the biggest one. Its roots seep through the floorboards and get down into the soft, cold earth. And is this in a planter or something? It's like a large wooden box against the wall that's ground level. And if I tilt the box up just so just so, and look underneath it? Oh, it's pretty well built into the floor. There would just be like dirt and stone underneath. But you can see <sighs> like there's little tiny cracks of like uh, penetration around the edge. Okay. So maybe, maybe we were a little... Uh, <laughs> overzealous about uh, bringing you into this environment. I'm going to talk to the others soon, but for now, I'm going to go see who's at the door. Okay, well, have a good night, Artyom. Let's go ahead and try to keep the Massilia from going past the lunge of ultimate questing, da? Sure. Oh, we didn't know you men underneath, too. What do you mean? Well, you, you told us to stay in the room and be safe, but we didn't think that meant underneath was off limits. We'll be more careful, I promise. Under is okay, just not not too far outward. Understood. We're very grateful for this opportunity. Ugh. Da, I'm glad you enjoy it. Bye. <laughs> I'll go see you at the door. Okay. Uh, the lounge is very quiet. Sounds like Jean-Pierre is starting to take a little break in the back kitchen. And there is indeed a figure outside the door when you open it. There is a very tall female wearing what looks like a Corsair's uniform. Like they're right off the sea. They... they smell very strongly of salt water. They have long pointed ears and kind of a sea foam colored skin, tattoos adorning their, their chest and face. And you recognize the Quainus priestess Ashira Mistkeeper that you met at Heption's ball. As I'm coming through the door, I'm shouting, Jean-Pierre, they agreed to stop having sex all over everything. <laughs> he says, and I look oh, up fantastic. <laughs> and I look up at her. Um, she was just kind of patiently waiting at the door, not really knocking. Looks like she's looking at some paperwork and kind of getting her bearings. Um, she says, Mr. Volkov, I see my directions were accurate. It's very good to see you again. If I am what you're looking for, which I can't imagine why you would be. We made a promise to one another, Mr. Volkov. I make a lot of promises. You understand the league takes me everywhere. What can I do for you? Do you have a quiet place we can speak? Uh <sighs> Well, I suppose the roof, but uh, there is a guy who seems to shout at us frequently when we're up there. <laughs> the town seems to be quite silent at this time of night. We can do it here if you prefer. Yet, let's go to the roof. Please lead the way. And she will follow you up to the very quiet rooftop, once again awash in green moonlight. And she says, When we first met and shared that dance, we spoke about each other's pasts very loosely. You understand that I am someone who studies the Dark Elf culture quite closely, I have a bit of a personal vendetta against many of the hives because one of them stole my brother from me. You're not the only one. I understand. And this is why I have much respect for you, Mr. Volkov, to rise from that dark place and choose the life you have. But you told me to keep you informed if I learned of any goings-on that might rouse your suspicion. And such a thing has happened. So I came to you as quickly as I could. Okay. You're from Hive Drogondrov, are you not? Da. I see. I control many vessels that do business around the Five Kingdoms. While I am a high priestess of Quainus, I'm also a ship's captain and a bit of an entrepreneur in nautical affairs. One of my ships that was returning from Ramatex with a shipment of crossbow stocks and bolt shafts was stolen. I set out in one of my nearby vessels to try to chase them down, and we succeeded. But the contents of the ship was quite concerning. This happened not too far north from here. We 
predict that the ship was headed towards somewhere in Leone, and when we overtook them, there was very few crew remaining. It appeared that a group of dark elves had stolen the ship from me, and there was only five of them living. There were more than a dozen that were dead among them, clad in very strange old leather armor, and many of them bore this insignia. And she says, pulling a medallion of leather out of her pouch that looks like it might be affixed to the front of a helmet or perhaps a breastplate. And it's a very dark circular canvas with two long coiling white roots, kind of like vegetables circling together. And you know this is a very common symbol for the Drogondrov region. Da. These are my people. Well, we are docked away from the main wharfs. I needed someplace private because there are dead bodies on the ship, and I did not want to raise any suspicion. But we did keep one of them alive. If you'd wish to go speak with him with me. Wish to? No, but I will. It may be a good source of information. You have to understand, if I wanted more information about the drive, I would be there. But I understand I am... This is my burden to bear. I will be there to help you. This is my own personal business we're dealing with. Da. You don't join a league designed to help people as a drive without expecting this. I understand. I'm shocked it's taken this long. I was surprised to get directions to your place from another dark elf. Da? I was at the wharfs looking for a lead on the team, and one of the workers overheard me and told me that he knew where you were. Lushed. Yes, a, an older older man. Uh, he had faded hair, a little yellow like yours, but much thicker in the stomach. Da, this is Lushed. He's a very kind man. I can guarantee you that the thickness will not go away. <laughs> well suited for long sea voyages, then. <laughs> if you can bear the ballast. If you'll come with me. And uh, she takes you down along the roads of the Rot Ward and down past all of the different wharfs in the city and goes further north to a very small private dock, not too far underneath a large cliff on the outskirts of the town. And there is a trade vessel tied up to that dock, and it seems to be very quiet. There are a couple of lanterns burning, and it looks like there are a couple of workers on the dock who are dressed in a uniform like they work on this ship. She said, I sent most of my workers into the town. I don't want people spreading rumors as we interrogate this dark elf. She'll lead you up onto the deck of the ship, up a wooden ramp, and then climbing very quickly up a rope ladder. And as she described, the deck of the ship is covered with many of these dark elf bodies, just laid out, sprawled. Um, they don't have any weapons on them, but they are clad in armor. And some of them look like they're wearing very fine metal armor, but most of them have this very old faded leather armor that looks like it's never actually been in a battle before. As soon as he sees the first of the drow bodies, he walks up to it and starts trying to take off the boots. Why are you doing this? As he's in the middle of unlacing, he stops and he looks up at her and kind of shrugs and drops the foot and starts following her. If you wish to investigate the dead bodies, I don't blame you. But they were dead before we ever got here. Yeah, this is a, a old habit. I see. I'll take you to the one we left alive. And uh, she leads you to the central mast of the ship where there is another dark elf tied up. His arms are bound behind his back and there's ropes all around. 
and uh, he has been unarmed. His armor has been removed, and it looks like his head has been shaved, save for a kind of a three-quarters mohawk on the side of his head. He's breathing, but seems to be unconscious. She says, it was not difficult to overtake the ship. I don't think these dark elves know how to navigate a sea vessel very well. There was only a few of them alive. Does he have any? Does he have anything signifying his rank? Yeah, uh, go ahead and roll me an investigation check. Okay. That would be twelve. All right. You can identify that he, uh, the armor and weapons that are near him, look like they probably signify him as the leader of this group, and he has some tattoos uh, across his chest and up his neck of white serpents that look like when you burn your skin and it heals and there's just kind of a, a fine silver ribbon left behind. Mm-hmm. And the tattoo looks fairly fresh to your trained medical eye. Like maybe it's only a few weeks old. Is this something I recognize? Uh, you can tell that these are not symbols of your people. You're not sure what they represent, but they're definitely not something common to the Drav. I see. Do you wish to rouse him? I'm just kind of looking at him. Very uncomfortable. And then I slap him across the face. (laughs) All right. Uh, That processes for a moment, and you can see, like, the jaw kind of tighten as his head goes to one side. Dobry vecher, comrade. He rolls his head back slowly before opening his eyes and then blearily focuses the two on you. We'll assume this conversation happens in Dark Elven. (laughs) (laughs) And he says, this doesn't look like in lakes. How would you know what in lakes looks like? Research. Years and years of research. And he looks you up and down and kind of scoffs to himself and says, I don't believe it. <laughs> I'd recognize the sugared locks of a Volkov anywhere. <laughs> da, da. We do stand out. How could this come to pass? Well, you know, I've been here, been there. It's a little dark, isn't it? I would not call this dark. No? It's not dark? You don't think so? He looks around and says, Hmm. That salt elf. She killed my men. Brother, let us rise together and take vengeance. <laughs> Brother, uh, this is funny. This is funny. I don't, I don't think you have much of a good conception of uh, family. You know, God, this, this darkness is really bothering me. No, uh, one second. I'm going to cast daylight. Gotcha. And he immediately starts to wince and pull his head away, squinting his eyes and gritting his teeth. And says, Poison. It's poison. No, it's, it's not poison. If it was poison, things wouldn't grow up here. You know, like they don't grow another dark. No? You understand? So you're a turncoat then? <laughs> I guess. I mean, if you if you want to treat it that way. I think of myself more as an entrepreneur. He tries to focus his eyes to make eye contact with you and says, Well, then what do you want? Why am I alive? Better question, why are you here? He looks around to the dead bodies on the deck of the ship, and then back up to you. They're not going to help you. I was on a mission from home. Duh, and I assume you don't need these uh, crossbow stocks for uh, whittling? <laughs> we didn't know what the cargo was. We just needed a ship. I firmly believe that the Dark Elf contingent would uh, come to the surface to steal a boat. Arriving at our destination was the only goal we had. This is so. And what is your destination? In Lakes, the capital. That's not the destination, that's an area. Where were you going? Why? As long as we got to the wharf, that's all we needed to do. You're being difficult. 
I'm tied to a ship. You're burning my skin with your horrible sunlight. What do you want from me? This isn't even real sunlight. Believe me, I could make this far worse. I just couldn't see you right. Oh, okay. I snap my fingers and the light goes out. <sighs> do you not realize of the great plans of the below world? To interfere with this is suicide. <laughs> Believe me, the Artyom Volkov you may have known is long since dead. To interfere with high Valithian Thar is most dangerous even to a turncoat. You have one last chance to let us reach our destination. I don't care if I have to sail this ship myself. Don't you think you're talking to some surface dweller? I mean, you kind of are, but you think I'm going to trust your word that I let you go and suddenly you don't send a contingent of people to come kill me in my sleep? Come on, please. You already know you're dead. Da? You know that whatever happens here, you go back there, you're killed for failing, you stay here, you're killed by me. And even if uh, somehow you try to uh, change your mind, someone's going to kill you. Oh, I understand my fate is death. I understood that before I took this mission. But if I can illuminate, he says almost with a spit, <laughs> for you the truth of the situation, perhaps I can better my people by revealing to you the fact that many of the Drov have joined our forces, are united behind us, eagerly. The. It is much like them. They were always followers. <laughs> Does it bother you to know that I probably know more about your people than you do? No, because they're not my people anymore. My people are resting quietly. You don't even know the history of the Drov clan, do you? No, the histories weren't exactly taught to the slaves. No, I imagine they weren't. I, on the other hand, have been studying them since I was a pup. The Drov have always been my focus. Fascinating people. You realize that a century ago, they were the spearhead of the Underdark. And what changed? Do you think the strong backs and imbreakable wills of the Drov come from farming? No. They're from a long line of soldiers, knights, deadly assassins. The strongest we've ever seen on the battlefield. We had to quash them, push them down in rank, subdue them to make them ours, so they did not overthrow us as the strongest hive. And why do you tell me this? Because my orders come from Edrov. My general is Voronoi Volkov. And a chill runs down your spine. You haven't heard the name of your younger brother in a very long time. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. 
So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Hello there, LU cuties. This is Zach here. Thanking you so much for listening to this special one-on-one. I apologize so much for any audio issues. The state of the world being what it is has made in-person controlled recordings a bit of a challenge. That being said, your response to the current hardship has been overwhelming. Many longtime fans are coming out of the woodwork to show support as new legendary team members. Those teams are the Cultured Cutthroats, the Moonlight Vale, and this week's featured team, the Tavern Brawlers, with Dave Mladenov, Daniel Pickens-Jones, Tracy Rivington, and Dovathor. I'd also like to thank our newest legendary team member, Ashwin. I hope I'm saying that right. As well as our other new Patreon subscribers from the month of April, that's William Johnston and Charlie Cuscola. I don't know if I've already thanked you guys, but I wasn't sure, so I'm just going to go ahead and throw it in anyway. Thank you all again so much for your support. Speaking of support, we recently hit the top 20 US games podcasts for a few days, which is a huge deal for us. If you've been holding off on sharing the love, now is the time to do it. Get the word out there, drag your friends, neighbors, and dentists kicking and screaming into the league. Additionally, a lot of you showed up for our Game Night Lounge Fund and that was just amazing. We raised a good chunk of change to keep them open and pulled in a lot of new Twitch followers. If you haven't followed us yet, please do. If you're a Prime member, now that we're affiliates, you can also subscribe to us, which is different from a follow and would be very much appreciated. On the note of Twitch, today is the first installment of my new Earthbound stream. If you're not familiar, Earthbound is kind of a surreal, absurdist, comedic RPG from the 90s, and it's my favorite game of all time. It takes place in the 1990s, kind of like an Americana pastiche. It's packed with weird enemies, excellent pixel art, and groundbreaking sound track, one of the most underrated games of the era and an inspiration for my only tattoo. If that grabs your interest or you just want to watch me play something that I love, come to twitch.tv slash slapdash streams at 6 p.m. Pacific every weekday, beginning today, May 11th. On to programming news, we have the recording date for our special feature hammered out for later this month and our guest player lined up. The series will be a limited run of three to four episodes featuring me as DM and allowing Law to take a player's seat for the first time on the show. Sam is scheduled to be back early June, and we're going to have a recording going as soon as possible after that, so there shouldn't be any gaps in programming, and we should be resuming the normal Mortal Dawn story as early as the 22nd of June. I hope everyone is staying safe and healthy, but without further ado, let's get you back to the action. She was there when you underwent your first trial of shadows. She held your hand when you got your first branding. When you had questions, she summoned the Servants of the Abyss to answer them. This Matron's Day, show your Hive Matriarch that just because you're drow doesn't mean she isn't the light of your life. Find the perfect message to affirm your unflinching loyalty and undying love with a Matron's Day card from Crawlmark. You may not have a choice in who you serve, but you do have a choice in what card you can buy them. Happy Matron's Day, from our Hive to yours. Crawlmark gift cards. The Dark Elf looks up to you, fairly exhausted, seemingly resigned to his fate. There does seem to be a kind of joy he's experiencing, telling you these things. Keep that name off your tongue, Dibil. I would not disrespect my master so. He's no general. <laughs> you are wrong. He is a brilliant tactician. A bloodthirsty warrior. He looks to the moth hanging around your neck and says, It seems you have bound yourself to one of these surface gods. You weave the light like it's some simple thing, though it is cruel. Voronoi similarly follows this path, but to a true god, a god of darkness. I'm going to cast Zone of Truth. Okay. 
And I'm going to just roll a wisdom save, I suppose. A do, 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 do. So it's just 10, which makes it a 13. Uh, that's a fail. All right. If it makes any difference, we did not kill these drove on deck. I believe you. They took their own lives willingly. Vornois General, when did this happen? Hmm. It seems he rose to power quite quickly around a year ago. He told me that something happened that made him need to seek out the faith. What are you thinking right now? I am thinking about the success of my mission to the best degree that I can seize it. What is the purpose of your mission? To send a warning to the surface world and give them a target for their ire. Who? Drogandrav. And how are you going to do this? We will send a ship to the capital of one of their strongest kingdoms, armed with soldiers with the Drogandrav crest, and kill as many as we can, viciously, and they will know who their foe is and where to direct their aggression. As Velithian Thar grows strong and hides in shadows, waiting for the moment to strike. So your plan is to sacrifice your slaves so that you can, what, do a sneak attack? <laughs> their sacrifice is indeed part of one of Shalokoth's rituals. Something old, something forgotten for some time. A gift from Vornoy to me. He says, looking down at the snakes on his chest, and says, you were wrong about one thing, Volkov. You said they weren't going to help me, but they will. You hear the sounds of the bodies surrounding you on the deck of the ship begin to move, slowly dragging themselves to their feet. As the armored bodies of the Drav slaves stand, their skin baked by sunlight, drooling and bleeding in their undead form, as the dark elf before you begins to laugh. I would like you to roll initiative. <laughs> Fuck yeah. All right. Uh, badly. <laughs> I did badly. That is a good old-fashioned nine. So first in the initiative is Ashira Mistkeeper. She's baffled by the fact that these soldiers are all standing undead, and she clutches for her holy symbol. There are at least a dozen drow zombies standing to their feet, and you can hear more of them clamoring below deck. She is going to call out to the two guards down on the deck that she left behind and say, Get the others! Now! Um, she pulls what looks like a one-handed cutlass off of her belt. And when she does, the smell of salt and sea just sort of fills the air. And you can see the blade looks like it's corroded with years and years of rust. But something about it still seems wickedly sharp. As she channels this energy, you can feel like a thunderstorm starting to form in the clouds overhead. And she's going to cast Bless on you and herself. Very nice. So you have an extra d4 you can add to your attacks and saving throws. And it looks like she's standing at the ready to cut anyone down who comes close with her cutlass. Perfect. That brings us to Artyom Volkov. I'm going to very slowly walk towards the prisoner. Mm -hmm. As I do, the moth rises like light out of my holy symbol and transforms into a sunlight chakram. I walk over to him and I put my hands on his face. He looks up at you, confused, but with a hint of confidence, chaos brewing inside of him. I give him a very slight smile, very genuine, very warm, and I say, all of you will burn. And I use Channel Divinity mm. to cast a Radiance of Dawn. 
Okay. And that first action was a spiritual weapon? Yes. Where would you like me to drop that? As soon as the light shines, the chakram flies off to just on the after deck and gets ready to mess up all of the nasty boys who are there. All right. And the bright light emanating from the spinning chakram is just casting waves of sunlight over these horrible undead dark elves. And let's roll for this Radiance of Dawn. So that's okay. going to hit everything within 30 feet of you, which I think is going to be a pretty chunky number. Uh, a 10 and a 3. So we got a 13 plus my cleric level, which is 8. So that's a nice 21. Looks like 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 of the zombies are going to be hit by this. For 21, I'm going to roll there. Is that a con save or is that a wisdom save? That is a con save. All right, I've got my zombie snap block. I'm just going to roll from clockwise, starting with that guy by the stairs. That's a success and a success. Jesus Christ, what am I doing? <laughs> They've only got plus three. Two, three, uh, four, that's a fail. Five, okay. six, seven, eight, and one more, and nine. Well, that one succeeded. So um, it looks like one, two, three, four, five of them are going to be totally fucked up. Um, so you said 21 points of damage? Uh, yes. Fuck. <laughs> the ones that failed look like the sunlight blasts through them, and you can see like pockets of moonlight shining through the holes left in their body, and they're staggering and barely standing on their feet. And half of 21 is going to be 11, we'll say. So that means these ones are going to be a that. Which is a total of, you know, like 100 and some damage spread out amongst all of them. <laughs> and for a moment, this is the brightest dock in all of Lucinelli. <laughs> yeah, they stagger back at that horrible, horrible blast of light. Uh, and anything else you'd like to do on your turn? Weird question. Are the undead being mm -hmm. drow affected by drow weaknesses? Uh, I think once they die, they lose their disadvantage for sunlight, but they keep the one where if they're killed by radiant damage as a zombie, they don't get to make their undead fortitude safe. They just die. Oh, cool. I mean, there's literally no way for me to take advantage of it. I'm just very curious. Oh, the one in front of you, if he tries to do anything, he'll have disadvantage for this turn because you just blinded oh, cool. him. Oh, nice. If he, if he tries to roll like a perception or attack roll or something. Hmm. So I casted daylight earlier. Mm-hmm. I extinguished it. Is it possible to not, is it possible to reactivate it without an additional spell slot? I would say yes, because we were just kind of in a narrative form. You just kind of turned it off. Okay. I don't see any reason why that wouldn't be okay, considering you probably anticipate hmm. needing it again. Yeah. <laughs> Did you want to turn it back on? Yeah, I think I'm going to do that will allow that i am going to turn on a 20 foot aura of light on your miniature okay so anything in that area is going to be affected by your sun your daylight neat yeah that is going to bring us to the dark elves turn uh, so the zombies begin to shuffle forward dragging their feet some of them having their organs just spill out of the holes that you blew through their bodies uh side note uh it looks like the daylight radius is 60 feet oh is it 60 that's it's radius 60 foot yeah. I was just going off memory. So it's probably just most of the deck. I think that's actually the entire, yeah, the whole damn thing. 
I was thinking of the light spell. Ah, yeah. Um, and these zombies are going to 5, 10, 15, 20, 20. Yeah, they're going to start shuffling forward as best they can. And again, all of the ones on the right side are absolutely on death's door. Yeah. <laughs> um, these ones aren't going to even make it all the way down. Yeah, they can only move 25. So they're just kind of doing the undead conga line down the stairs. They're not just going to... They're not just gonna like fall over the uh, the banister and just, <laughs> just head first spill ass down the deck. <laughs> I love it. Uh, am I missing any? Oh yeah, this guy back here. Five, ten, fifteen, twenty, twenty-five. He's gonna get over to there. And uh, the sunlight is causing this dark elf to scream and wince back, shutting his eyes as tight as he can. But he still seems to have this kind of smile on his face, and he says. The ritual is complete. Blessings to Shalakoth. And you see the white snake tattoos on his chest begin to rip and peel away like ribbons of leather. And each one starts to come to life and grow as white serpents begin to rip out of this guy's body like, like a fern growing out of a pot. Shit. Yeah, this huge undulating mass of white serpents just kind of explodes out of him. They move like tentacles on an octopus. All right, so a couple of the zombies are just going to throw throw some bows. Looks like two of them can hit you, and three of them can go for a Shira Mistkeeper. So these two are just going to be regular zombie slams on you. I'll take it. 18, does that hit? No. And 19. Yes? Hold on, let me do my math real quick. Sure. Correct. And that is four bludgeoning damage from that zombie slam. My god. And then the three of them are going to, in succession, slam at Ashira. One, two, three. And two of those do hit, dealing her a total of 15 bludgeoning damage. And when that happens, she activates her Thunderous Rebuke ability, uh, which causes one of them to take 2d8 thunder damage because she is a Tempest Cleric. Hey. Let's see. This one up here is one of the ones that you targeted. So that one, when it strikes her, a bolt of lightning literally shoots down from the storm cloud brewing above and just evaporates it on the deck. <laughs> and now these writhing masses of snakes are going to attempt to lash out at everything around them, including some of the zombies, because this is a beast of chaos. So we're going to get one, two attacks on Artyom and one on each of the zombies around you. So the zombie attacks are one, two, three, and those hit their horrible armor class. W warding flare. Cool. I'll keep that in mind on the one for you. So those three just get obliterated. Um, they literally get taken by these serpent heads and lifted up, and you see them choking down the undead shapes, gulping them inward. Oh, did you roll for him, by the way? When he, when... Oh, he goes on the same as the zombies. No, the um, the Channel Divinity. Oh, certainly. Uh, yeah, he definitely okay. took full damage. He didn't get to make a save because he was tied up. Right. And I have taken it off of his max HP. Neat. And now the two bites at you. The first one is going to be a disadvantage because of your warding flare. Mm-hmm. So that is an eight, which misses. And the second one is a 14, which also misses. Hey. So it seems like the serpents are lashing down at you, but the light emanating from your holy symbol seems to be keeping them at bay. As another one of the zombies begins to shuffle forward and take the place of the one that was destroyed, you hear the sound of a whip crack echo through the quiet night. And this is an advantage. Ooh, that's horrible. Oh, that still hits a zombie, though. <laughs> <laughs> So this zombie just south of you, you see it pulled off the deck of the ship and down onto the dock as a whip wraps around its neck and pulls it overboard. Very nice. 
And that will bring us to Ashira Mistkeeper. She is going to turn around and say, get that monster off my ship. She's going to use a guiding bolt on the abomination. Hey. So she's going to roll a spell attack. She has a plus five to this roll. So that is a total of 20, which does hit. And that's going to deal a nice solid 19. Not bad. It's pretty good for 3d46. Mm. And that means the next attack against the abomination is going to have advantage. Very nice. Um, as this holy energy strikes into this chaos abomination, it's going to activate its chaotic aura. So I just need each creature within 15 feet of it to make a wisdom saving throw. Need a burrito. That is you and her. <laughs> nice. That's an 11. Oh boy. And she got a nine. What that means is you have this sense of dread and fear. All of these horrible past memories and doubts about who you are and where you come from just wash through your body. You have disadvantage on your next attack roll for one minute, up to a minute, and then it's gone once it's activated. And just to check, that's not a charm effect, right? No. Okay. Nope, that is necromancy. Neat. So you and Ashira have disadvantage on your next attack roll. If it's against the abomination, that cancels out because she hit it with guiding bolt. Ayo. <laughs> so that works out okay. And that was its reaction. So she does that, and that makes it Artyom's turn. Neat. I'm going to go ahead and... Hmm. Do I know anything about this creature? Um, go ahead and roll me just a straight intelligence check. Boop. I'm not good at intelligence, um, and, and I rolled badly. There, There's a reason you're going to have advantage. Okay. Doesn't matter. <laughs> All right. You've, you've never seen something like this, but you know... That in your smite amount of reading that you did in that gift that was given you to you by Lady Serena, um, you asked for basically uh, information about the Drexian shift, and she mm. gave you a small like bestiary primer, and you saw that there were several deities represented in the Drexian shift that didn't manifest themselves, but they would give their blessings to a living creature to take their form. And the way it's more that you're learning from the holy symbol that he used, the the tattoo ritual, more so than knowing what this creature does and how it works. But you're sensing this is a kind of evil divine manifestation. Gotcha. Okay. Drexian deity. Nasty. Nasty jazz. I would agree with you. And that's just for free knowing that. Okay. Fair enough. Well, first, my little chakram. Mm -hmm. It's going to come all the way over to here since that's as close as it can get. Yep. And it's going to attack the zombie to its right. Okay. It's 14 plus my spell attack, which is 7. Yes, that super hits. Okay, cool. <laughs> the zombie's AC is very bad. Neat. D8 plus 4. Mm -hmm. da, 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 da. That's 4 plus 4. 8. All right. It rushes down quickly from above deck and slides down into midships. And uh, as it stops very briefly right before it reaches these two zombies... You feel like it maybe moved a little further than you visually saw. Mm -hmm. And the top half of the zombie just kind of slides off and shoves <laughs> to the ground. And the legs stand there blindly, just kind of kicking about and looking for a direction to go. Fair enough. <laughs> I like that. And that was a bonus action. Okay. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to cast Scorching Ray. Okay. And I slowly step backwards. Mm -hmm. I raise my hands, the chakram begins to glow, and from the center of it, five arcs of light shoot out, because I'm going to cast this at fourth level. <laughs> that's that's pretty juicy. All right, so one, that's uh, 
14. Let me check the AC on this thing real quick. I have a lot of tabs open. The AC does not connect with a 14. Okay. Uh, 21. That hits. Okay. Uh, not going to hit. Oh, no. Uh, critical failure and an 18. Oh, you know what? What was the what was the first one? You said it was a 14? Yes. Uh, you get to add a D4 to all of these because of the bless. All right. Nice. So let's see what they do. So the 14 is now a 15. <laughs> the 21 is a 22. Okay. <laughs> the 12 is now a 16. Hey. Uh, the critical failure doesn't matter. No. And the 11, which was an 18, is now a 22. All right. So it looks like you did five bolts. Yes. Four of them hit. The one is the only one that missed. Okay. Awesome. So yeah. in that case, I'm going to go ahead and deal that damage. So four times 2d6. Yeah. So 8d6. So Shazambo. 22. Not good. Not, not, a good, not a good set of rolls for me today. <laughs> <laughs> That's still some pretty juicy damage. Yeah. Well, well below average, though. Sure. Yeah, that's right in the line under average for sure. But these four piercing hot bolts shoot through, destroying a couple of the snake heads that are writhing and snapping at the air. And as you step back slowly, a couple more rise up, eyeing you with these serpentine gazes of paralysis. But you have damaged the beast greatly. A couple of huge snake heads just fall to the deck, writhing and quickly slapping to the ground as they bleed out. Would you like to do anything else on your turn? No, I think I'm okay. Sounds good. That brings us back to the dark elves that are nasty and bad. Uh, the other zombies are going to close the gap to move up. Although they are mindless and done dead, they still seem to be moving somewhat cautiously, seeing what's happening to their brethren. <laughs> Even in their mindlessness, they're slightly frightened by what's going on. So that's three at each of you. Woo! Here come the slams. Come on and slam. <laughs> three on Ashira. One, two, three. And three against Artyom. One, two two, three. So one hit on each of you. I think I can take it. So you take nine bludgeoning as this one fully, like he's running down the stairs and just collides with you at full check. Damn. And the one against Ashira is going to hit her for five bludgeoning. So this zombie just full clocks Ashira across the jaw and she spits out a tooth and wipes away the blood snarling as another bolt of thunderous energy comes down from the heavens and just explodes another zombie. Very nice. And that will make it the creature's turn. You see the ropes that were still binding the drow's chest to the mast begin to snap as this thing's body just continues to grow and undulate with serpents. It starts to slither forward. It's going to continue to make some attacks. Since you've belted it quite a bit, it's going to make three bites at you and the rest are going to be spread out amongst the zombies. Fair enough. All right. I'll warding flare one of them. Sure. The first one will be a disadvantage and that's going to be this guy right here. 16 is a miss. So we've learned you're at 19 right now. 18 is a miss. And 16 mm. is a miss. Dang nabbit. Hey. Unfortunate. And the other two are just at zombies. Destroys this one and just picks this one up in the teeth of this serpent, but seems to still be living. And the other one is swallowed whole. Very good. At the end of the initiative, you see a figure leap up onto the deck of the ship, having just climbed the rope ladder. And there is a whip in one hand and a short blade in the other. And you see the hefty form of Loshad Volkov jump down. Hey. 
and say, Little Artyom, I was following you when Strange Lady asked questions. <laughs> Why you fight zombies? He says, burying the blade into the zombie that's kind of hanging limply next to him. Yeah, yeah. Not now. Later. Okay. Look forward to catching up. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a hit. And he just kind of disembowels the zombie that's hanging limply as it falls to the deck. Perfect. Kind of pinatas it. All the, the candy guts come spilling out. <laughs> Intestines like taffy. Yeah. Just a taffy pole. <laughs> oh. Okay. Um, so that makes it Ashira's turn. She looks like she's ready to end this disgusting conflict. So she once again runs her hand across the surface of her holy symbol, which looks like two crossed scimitars. And you hear the sound of sloshing water as ribbons of the sea start to rise up and pull onto the deck. And these blades made of salt water start to float in the air around the zombies and Ashira as she casts spirit guardians, summoning these floating scimitars to cut the area around her as soon as the enemy's turn starts. Because that's a cool second level spell. And that'll be her whole turn, which brings us to Artyom Volkov. Hell yes. How's the snake looking? The snake looks hurt. It seems like its torso is growing, but the heads that are rising up out of it are dropping like flies. Hmm. How did it respond to the fire? It didn't didn't like it. It gave it a it didn't would not buy again. <laughs> one out of ten one out of ten stars. Okay. Good to know. It sucked as much as it would for a normal snake to be hit by a giant bolt of fire. Fair enough. Nothing special. Good to know. I think for pure, like, damage effect, I think the most I can do, unless I'm, like, really amping up a nuke, is to do a double attack. Oh, you mean a crossbow and spear? Yeah. You'll lose your shield bonus for next turn, but you can absolutely... Yeah, I think I'm going to do that. What I'm going to do is I'm going to hit it with the spear and then do a quick step back to take away the disadvantage from the range and then hit him with that. Go for it. So show me that sweet spear attack. All right. Spear attack is a fucking four. And you get to add a d4 (laughs) to that from Bless. Correct. Good. One. (laughs) That's a 12. Unfortunately, the spear does not connect. Yeah. uh, And the crossbow bolt is going to be a 18. That does hit. Whew, it's just uh, not not the best these days. That's a d6 plus one, so that's three, so plus dexterity is six. You said six? It just bolts between one of the giant serpent's eyes, and you see blood start to trickle down its white snout. Okay. So the snake will not get an attack of opportunity because you're still within his massive threat range, but that one confused zombie will get a free slam. Okay desperately trying to do something effective 13 does not connect so you duck out of the way before its necrotic fist comes at your face okay and you want to stop there for your movement uh hmm no i'm going to move over here nice and then my chakram is going to take my place and come at him with a nice big slashy slash okay oh wait no i already used my bonus action for the Thing. The cross. That, that works. Yeah. Okay. Yep. You can still move it over there, though. That's cool. Okay. I'll allow that. All right. Real quick, the zombies are going to attempt to do whatever they can. They seem to be in a very much losing battle at this point. Even their leader is against them, apparently. Um, so only one coming <laughs> in at you, which does hit. I'll give them that. Go out with a bang for four bludgeoning damage, and then two are flanking with Ashira. And they do horribly, just real bad. 
<laughs> At the beginning of their turn, they're all going to make deck saves. That's a fail and a success. I like how that one is a 20, but it's down to an 18 because it's a zombie. Um, and then the serpent. So they are going to take some damage from the ancestral guardians. Nice. So with a flourish, these salty blades all kind of collide and slash through the air. You actually hear the sounds of like metal on metal as these three zombies are just sliced to ribbons and one of the heads of the snake just gets split down the middle. And she says, Here on the open waters, none survive the blade of the sea maiden. So she sliced him up. Um, that's going to make it Loshad is <laughs> like looking at this giant writhing mass of white serpents with a most confused look on his face. He kind of looks to you and shrugs. He's like, do we kill? <laughs> the... Okay, I try. Um, and he's just going to stay where he is, but lash out with his, his whip. Opa! Um, <laughs> he does miss horribly. Sorry. And then he'll kind of back up to be next to Artyom, who seems to be kind of like a beacon of comfort for him, because he's, he's pretty scared in this weird fight. I can imagine. Um, the snake did not go, so it's just going to lash out at Ashira, because you moved away cleverly. Ha. That means it's going to make all of its attacks at her. Hey, oh. That could end poorly. Uh, one, two, three, four. Oh, five. It has five bites. Two of those connect. That deals 21 piercing and two con saves for poison. Boom, boom. Good. No poison. So she's, which is good because that might have killed her. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, she's looking fucked up. She's literally being held aloft by two of these white serpent heads, and it looks like they're drawn, quartering her. And she lets out a scream of agony as the thunder rolls overhead, bringing us to Artyom. All right. Well, this time I'm not going to make the mistake of using my bonus action to attack. And instead, I'm going to go ahead and do... I'm going to go ahead and have my chakram swing at it. And then as soon as it does, it's going to start shooting out repeatedly yet another level four scorching ray just beam after beam after beam right into the body of the damn thing fuck going like full gundam wing laser on this thing exactly sweet <laughs> so uh let's see the spiritual weapon attack roll first and then follow it up with your beams uh that's a 17 plus De seven definitely hits cool and then we got beam one beam two Beam three, <laughs> beam four, and beam five. All right. We're going to add D4s on those. Sure. So the three becomes a seven plus seven, so 14, not a hit. Nope. Uh, which means the next one's definitely not a hit no matter what. Yeah. And then the 11, which I'm thinking was already a hit at 18. Yep. Doesn't matter. So the all three of the remainder hit. <laughs> Correct. So that makes three of them... 6d6 and also a d8 plus 4. Okay. 66 is 70. <laughs> Jesus. These things are just the worst luck. And then the d8 plus 4 is 10. So a total of 27 damage coming at it. All right. Several of the snake heads fall limp to the deck. And the body is still undulating and writhing, but it seems to have lost most of its fight. Uh, it seems like this physical bombardment of magic and sea blades and melee weapons have started to take their toll and the form is starting to revert and fall back as though this dark elf whose skin from his chest to his chin is now flayed and bloody starts to 
emerge out as though the remaining serpents are giving birth to its failed corpse. <sighs> and he slides out onto the deck, coughing up some kind of necrotic liquid and wheezing as the thing starts to fade away, still snapping and fighting. But these are the throes of death. Whew. I hope you're not done answering questions. He coughs up more liquid and says, I'm, I'm sorry. Um, and you see Loshad uh, bend down to pick up one of the bodies on the deck and looking at it. And he says, Artyom, it's Mia, my, my niece. And looking around, you recognize some of the other bodies of some other Drav clans. He's looking around, recognizing faces and bodies and gently starts to weep, saying, Oh, Borov, Nisti, Karyak, or Artyom. What happened? It doesn't matter. We need to get somebody to Inlegs. We will mourn when our work is done. And there seems to be a small bit of dying life left in the Dark Elf that you were interrogating. And the smell of just horrible, rotten flesh is filling the air as this creature unfurls like a peeled banana. I cast Spare the Dying on him. Mm. You die when I let you die. As he looks up at your form, his eyes seem to be bleary, and he says, I'm so sorry, my dear Voronoi, I failed you, and falls into unconsciousness, but still alive. Loshed, there's work to be done. You, I, I'm, I'm ready. What do you need? Contact Maven. Make sure he understands that there's going to be an attack in Inlex by the draft. I don't have more information. We need some city guard to come here and take this scum and interrogate him so we can find out what their intention is. Okay, uh, Maven, he is the pretty mask boy? Da. Okay, I go. And he begins to climb down the deck and Ashira says, I can speak with the guards when they come here. I'm sure they'll have many questions about my ship and what happened. They can answer to me. My goddess has much sway with those who work with the sea. You've done me a great service by bringing this to me. I cannot thank you enough. And I expect that you will uphold your end of the bargain when the time comes. I will. And unfortunately, I think the time is coming. And as this figure, who seems to be fading into unconsciousness, the interrogated, tortured, and flayed drow laying out on the deck, he looks up to Artyom, and you see his eyes are bleary, but he seems to recognize you. And as he looks you in the eyes, he says, I'm so sorry. Voronoi, I have failed you. Hot damn. <laughs> that is some serious shit. Oh, that was good. Uh, do we want to do a two-person outro? Like, we didn't really yeah. plan for that. Yeah, fuck it. Let's do it. I think I think that sounds good. I gotta say, I was wondering when when the uh, drought thing was gonna come back, and I'm very excited about this. I mean, obviously we've got Ar uh, Arvid's thing to deal with and other stuff, and this is just a one-off. So this if it just doesn't some, end up being some information <laughs> gathering. No, oh, I love it. I love it to death. Do you want to do the read-off here? <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. Um, thanks for joining us for this very experimental one-on-one -on -one episode. It sounded like uh, the right thing to do at this time, and it was some good story content and. 
honestly, we just really wanted to play. It's been a long time and this game's a lot of fun. Uh, so we hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Um, of course, my name is Law. I'm the creative director of Slapdash Studios and the DM of the League of Ultimate Questing. And I'm Zach. I'm the technical director for Slapdash Studios and the voice of Artyom Volkov, the cleric of Sunlight and Suffering. Thank you, Tori, our editor. Notorious. 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 We want to thank you all for doing all of the sharing and listening that you've been doing. We've been having some really exciting numbers lately. Um, <laughs> we're very pleased to see that. And if we can keep growing like this, then you're going to get a lot more LUQ in the future. Uh, please, yeah. please visit LUQ.com to get links to all of the cool stuff. Uh, Instagram, social media, of other platforms. We're going to add a button for our Twitch channel because we've been twitching while we have a lot of free time during the you-know-what times. Um, <laughs> is there any important stuff we go over? I don't really think so. No. For the foreseeable future, uh, new episodes of LUQ in one form or another will continue to come out every Monday. Of course, please visit our Patreon if you want to get access to character sheets, magic items, digital maps. And if you want to become an NPC on the show itself, your name can be added to the story. Many of the NPCs you've met in the past have been some of our legendary tier patrons, and we thank them very much. So we'll see you guys soon. Thank you again for being a fan for all this uh, exciting year of trials and tribulations. And until next time, we wish you luck. Yeah.